Hey, good morning. Hey, all right. So uh, we've looked at the, we've, we've read the text. And so what I want to do first is I want to um, kind of recap last week, right? Uh, and so I've, I've thought this out and I'm going to, I'm going to do this in, uh, in sort of a play format. Okay. All right. So since it's just me, I'll have to go back and forth and be different characters and stuff. It's very complex. You ready? Okay. Here's how chapter one, here it goes. Go to Nineveh. No. Sploosh. Okay, thank you. Um, essentially, right, those are the highlights of chapter one, right? God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I don't want to. I hate those guys. He runs away, flees to Tarshish, hops on a boat, big giant storm that God sends. Everybody is, is, is already wet, so you can't tell that they're all wetting their pants. This is a super scary storm, right? And... So they're, they're trying to figure out whose fault it is, because in the ancient world, that would have been, that's the question we answer. If we figure out whose fault this is, we get rid of the problem, we can, the storm will be over, maybe we'll, we'll survive. They, Jonah's down in the hold of the, the ship sleeping. They come down and they said, first of all, how? And second of all, they said, there's a giant storm, right? And we're trying to figure out who it is. Like, could you pray to your God? Because maybe, maybe he'll answer, right? Everybody's taking turns praying to their own gods, right? They're all praying. So he, he, he comes up. The storm's big. He says, listen, here's, you know, they cast lots. They're like, it looks like it's your fault. He says, it is my fault. I'm a prophet of God's, uh, the God that made heaven and earth. And he told me to go to Nineveh, but I hate those guys. So I'm headed to Tarshish. And it's definitely my fault that this storm has come. So if you would just toss me over the, the side of the ship, uh, it, the storm will go away. And they're all kind of going, okay, so you're God. You're a prophet. And your God is the one sending the storm. We're a little nervous to toss you overboard because, you know, even though you're the one whose fault this is, you're his. And if we murder you, which essentially is what it would be to toss someone in the middle of the ocean without a life raft. Right. Uh, if we murder you, then we're afraid that even though it's your fault, he'll still be mad at us. Like, what do we do? He says, listen, it, it's on my head. And they tried to row back to shore. They tried really, really like they tried everything they possibly could to avoid him being tossed and and uh, and it doesn't work. The storm is just too relentless. They can't get back to shore. They toss him overboard and immediately the storm stops. Right. OK, so there it is. So go to Nineveh. No sploosh. There you go. That's it. So we find ourselves today, um, you know, as, as kind of in the belly of the fish. Right. I mean, that's really where most of most of our episode for this week take place. Right. Um, and so here we are, we've got Jonah, uh, who is a prophet who should be by all accounts should be the hero in our story today, who is an active, open rebellion against God, right? He is, God has given him a command. He, he, he didn't want to do it. And so he said, I'm not, I'm not gonna. And he ran the other way, right? So he's an open rebellion. And really, uh, you can make an argument that he's kind of a villain, who is, he's running possibly even trying to leave his life and his God, right? Like, where did he think he was going to go? Like, was he going to go to Tarshish and sit there and wait until God said, okay, never mind, I blew him up, you can come back. You know, like, what was his plan? I don't know. It doesn't tell us, right? So was he going over there to just say, you know, I'm an Israelite, that's my God, that's my country, but, you know, for best thing for them if I don't go to Nineveh, right? And he just lived the rest of his life out as an exiled prophet? I don't know. Right. So possibly leaving his, 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 his life, his family, all that that would cost him because he doesn't want to do what God had asked him to do. Right. Anybody been there? Right. I mean, think about the things in your life that God's asked you to do. That are, I mean, like the big stuff, the scary stuff. And you're just like, man, I don't know. Like it sure would be easier to just sit here and, and not do that. Right. And I think there's a relatability to this situation. But God, <clears throat> God makes it clear that ignoring His command is not an option. And when, when Jonah's given the opportunity to pray, he's actually begged by the sailors, the pagan sailors, right? Um, we have no indication that he did, right? They said, hey, get up and pray to your God. Maybe, he'll, maybe the storm will relent. And, and, and according to the text that we have, 
We, there's no evidence there that he goes, okay, you're right. I'll take my turn. Let's see what God says. Okay, God, I'm, you know, could we go back to shore? I'll go to Nineveh. He never does that from the text, right? So it seems to me <clears throat> that he would rather die in the ocean than preach in Nineveh. Is everybody with me? Okay. It does not make him an incredibly likable character, right? Uh, he wants, okay, emphasis on that word. He wants God to destroy Nineveh. He seems heartless and callous, right? Completely free from compassion and mercy for the Ninevites, right? Now, my gut reaction, and, and maybe yours is similar, to Jonah's behavior is disgust, right? Like, I have on probably a hundred different times said Jonah, and I, and I mean it, Jonah is my least favorite character in the Old Testament who plays for our team, right? Everybody with me? Like, I can't think of a character on our team, right? I know that that's a weird analogy, but I can't think of anybody who played for our team who I like less. Now, it's not impossible that I have missed someone or that there's some very, very deserving person out there, but Jonah is the one that catches my attention and he, and he, he irritates me, right? He's a, he's a jerk, right? I mean, from my reading, from my understanding, from my point of view, right? He just comes off as a total jerk. But I want to be, I want to be, uh, and I think it's, I think it's, there's some fairness to it, right? Like he is, he, this guy is a pouty tantrum throwing whiner. Like I think there's evidence to support that. Okay. I think, especially as you read the rest of the book, like I can, I can back these claims up. Right. But I want to be careful. Right. Because we don't know why Jonah seems to hate these people so much. Right? We, we don't know. We don't have that information. We're not given. I can't give you an answer on this. All I can give you is let's stop and ask the question and make sure that we don't read this with our own prejudice. The, we don't know, uh, you know why he hated him so much. We do know that Israel and Assyria had had conflict. Right? Okay? We know that. That is historical. We can go to that. We do know that from studying history that the Assyrians were merciless. They, they, were, they did horrible, horrible, graphic, detestable, unspeakable things to their enemies, right? Okay? They were a plague, really, to the ancient world. And it didn't matter if you were a soldier or not. They slaughtered everyone or worse, right? Okay? And here's, here's where I think it gets tricky. Like, here's where I have, to, I have to look at the way I view Jonah through this one encounter with him. I look at his behavior. I look at his reaction. And, and I have to be careful because we do not know how deeply Jonah was affected by their cruelty. We don't know that story. And I think that it's really easy for us to, to, to do what, what I do to Jonah on a daily basis in the world around us, right? Are you tracking with me? Because the thing is, is like, it's really easy to see, like how easily do you get angered, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You don't know their story, but you know what they've done to you. And you're just, oh, that's so stupid. Like, why would you do that? And, I, and I, I, this is not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to all of us, right? Like that is a thing, right? That is a thing that I struggle with because when somebody does something stupid on the road, not only are they irritating and inconveniencing me, but I have this just anger that comes from the fact that they're sometimes endangering the lives of the people I care about, right? Like they're not just taking a risk and being stupid and doing something dumb on the road. They're putting my family in danger, right? And so it feels, and the thing is, is that we don't know what Jonah's situation is here. And so while it's really easy and there's evidence to support it, and we're going to get to some of it, um, I just want to really be careful because we don't know, again, how deeply he was affected by their cruelty. We don't know what he has seen or experienced that has turned Jonah into what he is, right? 
I mean, what we see in the pages of the book of Jonah are not flattering, right? But I'm pretty sure that for all of us, there would be, if they took pieces of our lives and put them into a couple of chapters in a book, it would not be very flattering. We would be hard to root for sometimes, right? Like that me, you, all of us, right? Because the truth is, is just like Jonah, we all take turns being kind of dumb, right? It wouldn't excuse Jonah's behavior. Like if we understand where he's been or what he's been through, like it wouldn't excuse his behavior, but it would help us to understand why he behaves the way he does. And that's important, right? The, the phrase is hurt people, hurt people, right? That's the old adage, right? And I, and I wonder if this isn't an, an appropriate phrase in Jonah's case, right? I mean, what we see in the prophets is, is this desire, like, almost across the board, the, the prophets as a whole have this desire to see people come to know God, right? Specifically and particularly the Israelites, right? Like they're, they're trying to pull the Israelites back to God. And with Jonah, we, it's, it's just such a contrast. And, and so as we look at this, and, and it's so different from the prophets, this, this prayer that we're going to read is similar to some of the Psalms, but it's so different at the same time. And, and whenever there is something that is in that stark a contrast, it's a good idea to ask why. Why does that look different? Why does he sound different? Why? Is there an answer that I can give you? I wish, right? I wish I could tie a bow on it and I could just be like, here, this is, see, we know everything. We don't. And there's some of these answers that we can't know. But um, so I want to be careful because I dislike Jonah so much. And, and I dislike his behavior throughout this book so much that it affects the way I read the text. Okay? When I read the book of Jonah, I assume I am cynical when I read Jonah, right? Like, I am not giving the benefit of the doubt to Jonah at all most of the time, right? Okay? So I want to be careful with that because it's not good, right? Since I... Since... <laughs> also doesn't mean I'm wrong. Um... <coughs> I can defend these ideas, but since I know I'm biased, I want to try really hard to be careful how I handle the text, right? Because the last thing I ever want to do is say something that isn't supported by the text, right? Um, and I think when we're reading, when we're spending our time in our Bibles and, and we're looking at the text, those, we've, like, we've got to be mindful of that stuff and self-aware enough to say, okay, I have a problem here, so I have to be careful how I read this because I want to read it this way, but it doesn't actually say that. And so there's some of that. Here's an example. Here's a real good example of what I mean by this, how I, like how I read this different because of how I view Jonah. Okay, When did Jonah pray? Have you ever thought about it? Okay, here's how I always assumed it went. Okay, I always assumed... When I read this, right, it goes that he's swallowed by the fish and then there's this prayer. And then as soon as the prayer is done, he's, it, the next verse is that he is vomited up on shore. Like even the fish couldn't stand him, right? Okay. Now in my brain, I read this as he's swallowed by the fish and he sits there for three days before he finally relents and says, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. He prays his prayer, which is kind of a mockery. The fish spits him out, and he stomps all the way to Nineveh, right? Like, that's how I read it. Anybody? Is that how you read it? Did you give him more credit than that? Good for you. That's good. That's good. The text doesn't actually say. It doesn't say. So all of those opinions, while maybe based on some things that we read later, right? Maybe based on some character analysis, right? Like, maybe based on some stuff... It is conjecture. It's just as possible that the fish swallowed him. He prayed immediately, and then he had to wait for three days to see if God would answer. That's just as possible. It's just as likely, right? Or it could be somewhere in the middle, and we don't know. The text doesn't say, and that's important. That's a good lesson. The text doesn't say. doesn't say I'm wrong, but it doesn't say, right? It also, it, it, with the information that we have, 
Okay? We just don't know. We can, we, can, we can guess, we can extrapolate. That's the fancy $5 word for it, right? And we can sniff out a lot of answers through study, right? Like we can. But sometimes we're left wondering, right? Sometimes God leaves those questions hanging there, right? We're meant to see ourselves in Jonah, and we're also meant to see the sin of the Ninevites mirrored in the rebellion of Jonah. Like it's this big, it's this big circle, right? And if we knew all the details, I think this is why God leaves some of them out sometimes. If we knew all the details, it would actually serve to distance us from the story. Does that make sense? Like if we knew, here's exactly how it went down. Here's how you should feel about it. Like if we had all those details, it would actually, it would take away that imagination. It would remove us from the story a little bit. It would be harder, it would be harder to relate, right? Because as it is, I, I imagine it happening like it would happen to me, right? And if I know all those details, then it makes it harder to imagine it that way. Right? Like, like it, it, it allows me to say, oh, Jonah, what a, what a bonehead, right? Like in a way that I couldn't if I don't have those details. It's similar to the difference between reading a book and, and watching a movie that's based on that book, right? Your imagination is almost always better. Right now, obviously, there are things you want to be careful about that, because when the Bible does speak, we want to make sure that we pay attention. Right. But part of the problem is that the movie can never exactly uh, match everyone's expectations. Like when you read The Lord of the Rings, right, or whatever books you're into. Right. Maybe you're into totally different books. But when you read a book like that and you read about the characters and you read like in your brain, you're imagining what they look like and you're. You, you know what, does that, you understand what I'm saying? And then you watch the movie and you're like, I really thought he'd be taller, right? You know what I mean? And because Jonah is supposed to be a bit of a mirror, I think that's part of the reason why God left some of those details out. Now, is that gospel? Can I say that for sure? I don't know. No, not really. But it makes sense, right? Like if, if the purpose of Jonah is for us and for the Israelites to, to read this book of Jonah as a, as a warning of like, here's what happens when you don't, like, you ignore God. Like, he, you know, here are the lessons that are to be learned by, by a prophet who is, is it, he, he knows all this stuff about God, but he doesn't really know the heart of God. Like, here's this lesson that you're supposed to learn. Because we don't have all the details, we are more easily able to relate. Does that make sense? Okay. Weird little tangent there, I suppose, but, but there you go. So before we go any further, I want to look at what the text actually says. Right? Because it would be weird to have that tangent about... Anyway, let's move on. Because here it comes. So we start uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, uh, verse, uh, and we're going through 2.10. Um, but the Lord provided a great fish. Now, um, Stephen mentioned last week, and I think it's important to kind of mention again, uh, you know, anytime, a lot of times when we come to this idea of Jonah being snatched by a great fish, right? We get, we, like, it's really easy to stop on what kind of fish, right? And there's this, there's, there's this almost this element where we go, okay, can I, can I explain this? Like, is this physically possible? Could this happen in, in just the natural order of things, right? Like, and again, having all those details wouldn't help us any, right? Like, knowing what kind of fish it was wouldn't, wouldn't help us. And it would actually kind of distract us because here's the thing. Is it possible that, that God could have created this fish and that naturally he could have been, you know, Jonah could have been swallowed and that it is all possible without a miracle that Jonah was swallowed. He lived for three days and then he was spit out. Is, is that physically possible? Okay, maybe scientifically we could look at that and I'm sure we could find some explanations that would make sense, right? That we could justify it. But here's the important thing about this. To remember is that this was a miracle, which means I don't need it to scientifically make sense because God can do whatever he wants, right? Like if, if I am okay with the idea of Jesus raising from the dead, right? If, if I'm willing to accept that God created the world in seven days or six days and then he rested, okay, let's not. But if I'm willing to accept that 
all of these different things, right? That while, and in some cases, I think that this idea, I don't like this explanation. Like I don't, like there's some of the things, like I look at creation, right? And I, I look at scientifically how some of this different stuff worked. And like, I, I've got books on how the, like the flood, right? Like, how did that all work? Like, okay, I know that he did it. It was a miracle and it was crazy, but like, what are the ramifications and how did it work? And like, sometimes I want to dig into that stuff because it does help me. But sometimes it's enough to just say, is it possible? Yes. Like, is it, is, is it possible that a fish or whale could have happened without God? Like, have there ever been any recorded instances of somebody getting swallowed by a fish and then you cut the fish open and you're like, surprise! It's like the weirdest, you know the plastic Easter eggs? It's like the weirdest plastic Easter egg ever, right? <laughs> Such a weird reference, sorry. Is it possible outside of miraculous, right? Probably, yeah, I think we can find a little bit. But when we, when we do that, we miss sight of the fact that this was a miracle, right? This was God divinely stepping into creation and saying, here's how this is going to go. Right? All right. So, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, the only thing I want to say about three days and three nights is it comes up later, right? Uh, Jesus uses, the, the, he's, when, the, when the, the Pharisees, the crowd is asking for a sign, he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. You guys shouldn't be asking for signs. This is the only one you're going to get. And the sign of Jonah is the three days and three nights, right? He uses that as an example. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And I think um, there in verse 1 of chapter 2, it's an interesting thing to, to read that again. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, who? His God. It's very specific about whose God God is, right? Um, I think it's worth noting, right? It wasn't our God. It wasn't the Lord God. It was Jonah's God, right? There's an ownership kind of indicated there that, that is, uh, I don't know, it just... He's not our God, he's my God, right? Like there's that kind of attitude, it seems to be. Now maybe I'm reading into that, right? Does it say it? Not necessarily, but does it make sense? Okay, sure. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. He, he gives no acknowledgement here of why he's in that distress. He says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and he answered me, right? From the depths of Sheol, from the depths of the grave, I called for help. And, and, and I mentioned Sheol because that, that idea of the, from the depths of the grave is going to be a, a theme that continues through, through the psalm, right? He's going to use different imagery. He's going to use different words. But, but Sheol is, is basically, it's the, the Hebrew idea of the underworld, right? And he says from the depths of the grave, from, I mean, like so far down that there's no coming back from it is the idea. Does that make sense? So from the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listen to my cry. And here's where it gets interesting. Verse three, you hurled me into the deep. And I, I have to kind of question his, his, his wording there. Because whose fault from this prayer does it sound like this is? He says, oh God, you hurled me into the deep. And what is he ignoring? He's, he's, he's not taking any responsibility at all, right? He says, oh God, you hurled me into the deep, right? And he's not saying, I mean, why did God hurl him into the deep? Because of his sin. Does he acknowledge that? Does he say anything about it? No, he just, he goes, oh God, you hurled me into the deep. It's so rough. I'm so... Anyway, right? You get me? Like... Into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves. Whose waves are they? They're your waves. Whose fault is it? Your fault, right? Like that's, that's where it seems to be going in the way this is worded. Your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished. And I think that's a pretty, um, <clears throat> that's a pretty interesting take on it, right? Fairly generous to himself, right? 
What's he saying here? He's saying that God had banished him. Is that true? Yes. But what really happened here? Was it just like God was just sitting up there going, ha ha, I got Jonah. Uh, no. God gave Jonah a job. Jonah said no and fled. So why is he, why is he distant from God's sight? Because he turned around and walked away, right? This wasn't something that God just did to him, right? And you know, I, I think it is fair here, again, to reflect, to look inward, to, to, to look at ourselves as we're reading this, because I want to be really hard on Jonah. But have you ever done something really dumb or walked away from God and then... You kind of wanted to paint that sin with this brush that makes it all look like you were less at fault, than you, right? Have you ever had somebody who, you know, um, maybe in, in primary school, right? Like there was a series of events and, and something went terribly wrong and there were two or three of you involved, but then one of them squeals and, and kind of rats you out, right? And tells, oh, this is what happens. But when they're telling the story, they kind of tell the story to the principal or the, the superintendent or whatever it is. They tell that story in a light that paints them in a little bit better colors than the rest of you, right? Have you, and that's what Jonah's doing, only he's doing it for himself, right? He's saying, oh, you've banished me. Oh, it's just so horrible. And he never acknowledges why, right? And the reality is, he wasn't as much banished as he just outright disobeyed and fled. Right? And I think that's the case most of the time when we find ourselves distanced from God. He didn't move. We did. Right? Banished from your sight, yet I will look again to the holy temple. Right? You see how the way I'm reading this really affects the way you hear it? I just think that's a really interesting lesson. Right? The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. And here's another, uh, it's kind of a parallel image to this from the depths of the grave, the Sheol image, right? Is it the same word? Not exactly, but is it meant to be a parallel? Yes. To the roots of the, the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, right? Usually when you get buried and they put the dirt on top, that's it, right? That's, that's what he's saying. He says he's as good as dead. That's, that's what he's getting at right here. But you brought my life up from the pit. Pointing again back to Sheol. Oh, Lord, my God. Now, <clears throat> at this point, he does kind of turn a corner here. And if you're going to give him any credit for having a change of heart at all, here's where you'd find it. Here it comes. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Now, did he forget? Did he forget who God was? No. He knew exactly who God was. He had the Scriptures memorized. He didn't forget any of it. But he did walk away and try to ignore it. Right? And I think that there is, there's, a, there's an imagery there that's really important for us. We're going to look at it here later. Um, but I just want you to... He didn't forget who God was. He didn't forget the Scriptures what he did is he walked away and he tried to ignore them, right? He's like, I know who you are and I don't want them forgiven, right? He says, I remembered you, O Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It's more of, so just to kind of, again, go back to this theater thing, right? To kind of demonstrate to you this idea of, I remember the Lord, but I'm going to look back to the temple. Right. So essentially what Jonah is doing when he when God tells him to go to Nineveh and he hops on the bus is he's going, la, 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 I can't hear you. La, la, la. I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. I'm just going to go over here. Hope it goes away. Right. And what he's saying here in this idea is that he's, he's kind of taking those fingers out of his ears and he's like, OK, I, I'm going to listen. Right. Is it repentance? Could it be? Uh, OK. Right. And my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols. And I really like the word that they use here uh, for worthless. Because the word translated like literally means empty emptiness. I just think that's such a cool idea. Right? Like what are these idols really worth? They're empty emptiness. 
Like they're just hollow and vain. And like, of course, I use the word vain. You know, another place where they use this word vain uh, is, is uh, Ecclesiastes, right? And vanity of vanities, chasing after the wind. That's the, the phrase that Solomon uses. And I always, uh, whenever I think of that word, I think of, I think of my sister, um, which may seem like a strange connection to you, right? Okay. But in her room as a kid, right? Dad had taken this, this table that had a mirror, it had drawers, and there's a little stool in front of it. And he had taken it, it was all beat up and he crusty, and he, I think he maybe got it at a garage sale, and, which is uh, like a boot sale, right? Okay, I don't know garage sales. Um, but he'd taken it, he fixed it all up, he made it all fancy, he put, you know, there was like gold shellac on, the, on the, the handles, right? Like it was nice. Okay, he fixed it all up. And what it was, was it, was it was a vanity. That's what they're called, right? And the whole point of a vanity is that you sit down on that stool in front of it and you put makeup on, right? Now, there's the idea that to, you know, maybe makeup is vain. But the thing about the term there is that it's of little lasting value. That's, that's the essence of the idea, right? Like, you can sit down and you put that makeup on today. But tomorrow, you're going to have to do it all over again. It's not going to last. It's not going to be, right? Okay. And that's not a thing against makeup. Uh, I don't have a thing against makeup. It's just, that's what comes to my mind, right? Like when I think about this, this empty emptiness, this worthlessness of these idols, Jonah has this right. This is the, this is, uh, this is the credit I'll give him right here, right? When he looks at other gods, he realizes that they're worthless. They're not going to fix it. They can't help, Right? So those who, who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And I liked, actually, uh, Braylon was reading from a version of the NIV, and I really liked the way hers, hers said that. Um, I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but you can ask her later. Um, it, was, it was really neat the way that, that worded that. Verse 9, but, I, but with a song of thanksgiving. That's interesting. Because Jonah is currently in the belly of this fish, right? He, he knows why he's there. He knows that, that he has been swallowed by this fish because he was disobedient and deserved death. He's just got done saying, you, you tossed me in the ocean down to the depths. Of the, I was as good as dead. And he says here, with a song of thanksgiving, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. I think it's interesting. I think there's reasons why it's a song of thanksgiving. Okay? But I think it's also interesting that there is still, at verse 9, there is no acknowledgement of his wrongdoing that I can find, okay? Now, could we debate on some key, but like concrete evidence that Jonah said, I was wrong, please forgive me. I don't find it. This is even in this with a song of thanksgiving. They had songs for repentance, right? Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And I want to take a minute and I want to just, okay, we've, we've, we've looked at the text and I want to stop. And if you're taking notes, some of these are going to be, um, you could write a couple of these down, right? Because here's what we don't find in Jonah's prayer. And I think it's interesting. Like we, we see what's there. We've seen it. We've looked at it, right? Okay. But there are some things there that seem noticeably absent. Does that make sense? And, and so as I'm reading through that prayer, here are the things I don't see that in a guy in Jonah's situation I would expect to see. Like if this was David in the belly of a fish and he was writing a psalm of, of, uh, of repentance, of thanksgiving, of like acknowledging who God was, here are the things I would expect to see. And when I'm reading this psalm of Jonah, I don't see them. And here they are. There's no, and this is odd, it's not necessarily a negative thing. But there's no distress about having been swallowed by a giant fish. And I'm going to be honest with you, that confuses me. Right? <laughs> there's none. Now, does he complain a little about being in the water? And be, but 
No man, the water he complains about. And after being in the ocean here, I get that, right? It is cold and I don't like it, right? Um, <laughs> we, we, I dipped my toe in over at Salt Hill like months ago in the summertime. You know, everybody was swimming. It looked so nice. It was a warm, sunny day. I dipped my toe in and went, nope, right? So the idea that he's complaining about the water totally makes sense. But the idea that he doesn't complain about the fish is weird, right? Well, the reality is, I think, as far as I can tell, this is my extrapolation from what we have, right? I think he's relieved to be inside that fish. He never questions how things are going to turn out, right? Like you look at his prayer, you look at this. Now, is it written after the fact? Is it written in the belly of the fish? I don't know. Does it... Does it mirror, even if it's written afterwards, does it mirror his feelings at the time accurately? I, I, I believe so, right? But there's never a question of how things are going to turn out. I think Jonah sees this fish as a rescue. He almost uses this fish that we all view as punishment, right? He uses this fish almost to say, see, God's still got my back. I'm going, Jonah, listen, bro, you're in a fish, okay? <laughs> right? And I think, I think one of the things we've got to stop and acknowledge, though, is, is that's a pretty good way to view the fish, right? And I think the thing we've got to, we've got to kind of think about there is that perspective matters, right? Without that fish, he was dead. He was definitely dying, right? Like he was not going to make it out there in the middle of the ocean. Okay, so when we read this story, we read it as, man, this, he's swallowed by a fish. What a weird punishment. And Jonah's going, no, I was as good as dead. That fish was rescued, right? That's a weird, you know what I mean? Like, there it is. Do with that what you will. Is it... The second thing. So first thing was distress about being swallowed by a giant fish. We don't see it. The other thing we don't see is there's no admission of guilt. Right? I would feel so much better about, okay, because here's the thing. We read this story. Is it possible that after his bad attitude in, in chapter one, he gets tossed over there and he has a moment of clarity where he really says, and, and that this really is a prayer of, of repentance and thanksgiving that God is good. And he's like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And then, and then, and then what happens after you make a decision like that, right? Like you say, you know what, I'm going to follow God. Then you, you get home from the conference or whatever it is, and you go marching up that hill, and it's steeper than you thought it was going to be. And you find yourself going, ah, I don't know, this is really hard, you know, like, and, and there's those moments of doubt, right? And, and do we see that, that there was this moment of clear? Is that possible? Is that a way to interpret it and read it? Yeah, it could be. But I think it's odd here that from what I can see from the wording that's used, there's no admission of guilt. He never admits that he was wrong. He never acknowledges that God was right. Right? He really more kind of complains about the way God dealt with him. Right? I also don't see, this is number three, I don't see remorse. I don't see repentance. And are those kind of similar? Yes, they are kind of similar. But his wording almost suggests that these events represent a tragic sequence of inexplicable events, disasters that just happened to poor Jonah. Right? Now, do I think he actually believed that? Not necessarily, but did he try to paint it that way when he's writing this stuff down? It, it, maybe a little. His prayer seems to anticipate a full restoration, which is odd from the belly of a fish. Right? But there's no real evidence here of a changed heart on Jonah's part. Right? Jonah seems to view himself as having remained loyal to the Lord despite his disobedience since he hasn't turned to other gods. That's like saying you're not a sinner because you haven't done bad things even though you haven't done all the good you should have. It's, 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 it's faulty logic, right? And just in case you guys think I'm being too critical and I'm alone in all these assertions, 
J.H. Walton. And if it's a Walton, you know it's got to be true, right? It's a joke there. It's funny. But uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary. And the guy's name was Walton. I thought it was funny. Um, but he has this to say. I, I just two, two little paragraphs. So I just want to read them. Um, because here's what this guy who's smarter than me has to say about this idea. He says, Upon examination of the psalm, I do not find a single line that suggests that Jonah has recognized the error of his ways and is anxious to pack his bags and head for Nineveh. In fact, he sees his destination as the temple. And if you think back through like two or three different times, he mentions, I'll make those sacrifices in, in, in Jerusalem, at your holy temple, right? Furthermore, and this is still the same guy, furthermore, the attitude he demonstrates in chapter 4 suggests that the contrary is true. The lesson Jonah seems to have learned is not that it is wrong to disobey the Lord and try to escape one's commission, but rather that it is fruitless. You can't do it. It's like, I don't want to, but I don't, I don't have a choice. God is God. Jonah, I would suggest, is not repentant, but resigned to the facts. He is going to Nineveh one way or the other. Right? So, here it is. From the text, with the research and the reading that I've done, do I think that this guy, this Walton guy, I'm going to give him a little extra credit because he's Walton, right? Do I think this Walton guy is right? Do I, when I read chapter 2, do I think that that's the way it leans? Yes. Can I prove it? Now, can I say with absolute certainty that this is the way this went? No, not definitively. I wish that I could tie a bow on it and I could say for certain, but it is possible that I'm wrong and maybe a little cynical. Okay? But is it, it's possible that Jonah had a moment of clarity that, that what, what I read as cynically as Jonah's arrogant, unrepentant mockery was actually a genuine, heartfelt prayer. It's possible. I don't think so, but it's possible. So why am I so critical of Jonah? Right? Like, why do I not like this guy so much? Because if I understand the book and its aim correctly, then the reader of Jonah is supposed to see Jonah as a bit of a mirror. And I'm reluctant to give myself that much credit. Does that make any sense? I think the point of Jonah is that Jonah missed the point. It's a warning, right? It's a warning that we can miss the point just as easily. Jonah, a prophet of God, someone who knew, they would have absolutely been convinced that he knew the Lord, did not know the heart of God. Right? He knew all the scriptures. Probably had them memorized. Right? He could... He could he can quote the right verses and sing all the right words to the songs. He can dance the dance and he looks really, really spiritual. But he has thoroughly missed the heart of God. He is perfectly okay accepting God's grace and forgiveness for him. But he has no interest in seeing God be merciful and gracious to anyone outside his circle. He sees Nineveh as those people. So the question I ask myself after I read Jonah, not just chapter 2, but the whole book, is this. Is that me? Like when I read Jonah and I look at his unrepentant heart and how thoroughly he missed it, I look at it and I say, is, is, that, is that me? Am I in danger of, of doing that same thing? In my daily life, am I happy to receive forgiveness but reluctant to extend it? It's easy to see when we're, when we're driving or when we're on the internet, right? Like how easily you get angry with people. Do I view the sinners of this fallen world as those people? Is there an us and them sort of mentality in my brain? 
because when I do that, do I forget that the only difference between them and me or, or us is Jesus' blood? I'm a sinner that deserves death just as much. It's just I've been given grace and mercy through Jesus. And when we forget that and we develop this us and them mentality, it's a really dangerous thing. And am I so self-absorbed that I can't even see my own hypocrisy? Like those are the questions that I ask after I read Jonah. Right? You know, the thing about it is, too, is that it's, it's not a thing where I'm just standing up here going, is that you? No, that's not it at all. I'm saying collectively, we need to look at this and say, is that us? Is that me? Am I doing that? Am I missing it, God? Right? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, right? And he said it was this. He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he wasn't asked for it, but he says it anyway. And he says, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say this phrase that is, I think, really important for us today. It says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So when I read Jonah, and I read it through the lens of, of this idea, right? I realize that these commandments are intertwined, right? I can't really love God without loving people, and I can't love people unless I love God, right? There's this cycle of it. Like, it has to, it has to go around, and when it gets off, it doesn't work anymore. And so as we read Jonah today, we see that he tried to love the Lord while hating the Ninevites. And that we can know for certain. We know, there's no conjecture about it. Like, he did not like these people. He did not want God to, to save them. And he, here he is trying to love God and claim a relationship with God while hating people. Even people that have been horrible to him. And when we do that, it doesn't work. It breaks down. It's got to keep going like this. His love for God was distorted by his hate for the Ninevites. And it blinded him to his own inconsistencies, right? I want to ask you this this morning. Have you ever wondered, when you, when you read through the book of Jonah, what, would have, what could have happened? What could have happened if Jonah had tried? Now, does it matter? Can we fix it? Is it really? But do you ever, like, as you're sitting around, you're reading this, like, what would have happened if Jonah had put some effort into this? Because I, we'll make an argument later, I think, that he, he really didn't put it, like he went in and he did the bare minimum. He, he didn't do it out of grace or any desire to see them come to know the Lord. He just did it because he had to. And what would have happened if he'd have tried? What would have happened if he really brought a desire into that conversation for them to actually know the Lord? We know that they repented, right? That's great. But that's a long way from converting. There's no evidence to support the idea that there was any sort of Assyrian conversion to Judaism, right? It didn't happen. Did they repent? Yes. Did they convert? No. But we know also that later the Assyrians show up and conquer the northern kingdom, right? God used them to punish Israel for their sins. Think about the irony of that. It's so ironic, and I wonder if it could have been different, right? If they had loved their neighbors, could their neighbors have helped them when they stumbled instead of being the weapon God used to punish them? I don't know. But wondering doesn't really benefit us much because their story is written, right? Can we look at it? Can we learn from it? Can we, can we think about it? Can we ponder on it? Yeah, I think there are lessons to be learned from that. But it's done. It's written. It has happened. There's no going back and fixing it. But, but here's really what I think the takeaway for us today is this. Yours isn't. 
Your story isn't written. It's not over. It hasn't happened. So when we read this and we see what Jonah did wrong, we're able to see those pitfalls ahead of us sometimes, right? We're able to see those bad habits in ourselves, and we're able to look out there and go, that's worth avoiding. Somebody's going to get hurt if I keep going that way. We can't go back in time and fix their mistakes, but we can learn from them and step forward in a different direction. The first step in course correction should always be towards Jesus. Right? And no matter where you're at in your walk, right? whether you've been walking for years and years and years with Jesus, or whether you just got started a couple of weeks ago, we can all take steps towards Jesus. While we're here and we're imperfect and we make mistakes, we can all take steps towards Jesus. And I don't know what that step towards Jesus looks like for you today, but man, if you need to pray or you need to talk to somebody or you need to, man, find one of us. Because we sure don't want to be like Jonah. Like we want you guys to know the Lord, right? Like we want to know the Lord. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going we're gonna to go ahead and we're going to say the confession. Uh, Stephen's going to come up and kind of lead us in, a, in a, uh, a, a song of worship. Then we're going to step into the time of communion. Um, and I don't know, like when I, when I read this, this, this Jonah chapter 2, I read this, this prayer, I read, you know, kind of reflect on Jonah it just is a really good time to stop and say, you know, you know, ask God to kind of show us like where, where is in my heart is, is this, right? So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father.